All right, let's get to the word this morning. Psalm 46. Here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. That is why we are here. We are here to help you in your journey with Jesus, and we are focusing on three specific ways that we do that, upward and inward and outward. We're wanting to grow and mature and go deeper, upwardly, inwardly, and outwardly. Upwardly in our connection and communion and walk with Jesus. Inwardly as we are being transformed, as he does his work within us. And then outwardly as we reach out to other people around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our enemies that Jesus told us to love, the lost who need to hear the gospel, and everything in between. So we are wanting to grow in each of these areas. We are wanting to take our next steps. We don't have to have the whole picture figured out, but we just need to figure out what my next step is in my journey with Jesus. Here at Meadowbrook, we are here to help you do that. So you might remember an old hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Anyone remember this one? Literally nobody in the room at all. All right, I guess we didn't sing that in this church or any other church ever. God moves in a mysterious way. You have certainly heard the expression, God works in mysterious ways or something like that, right? God is at times mysterious. And so we were talking about that in pre-service prayer this morning and just, you know, we don't always fully understand God. God does not always act in a way that makes logical sense to my tiny human brain. Uh, there is not always clarity in this journey uh, with him. And, and the word bears that out, which we'll dig into this morning, is that God sometimes does work in mysterious ways. And as we talked about it in pre-service prayer, uh, somebody said, I actually like that about God. If you could totally figure God out with your mortal human brain, then he actually wouldn't be much of a God, right? So when we say he is mysterious, we're acknowledging with awe and with reverence and with wonder how holy he he is, how big he is, how majestic he is, that, that my human comprehension will not be enough in this life to fully comprehend him in every way. And then, so as the gentleman shared that, he said, I like that about God. And I said, well, think about our human relationships. I know Sarah better than anyone else on earth. We've been married for many years. We have kids together. I know her better than her own parents even know her, and they know her very well. And so I can tell you when Sarah walks into a room, I can I know her facial expressions, right? Her body language, her tone of voice. I can tell you right now, she's nervous because she doesn't know where I'm going with this. Just that's the vibe I'm getting as I look down. I know Sarah better than anybody, and yet sometimes, admittedly, she baffles me. Sometimes I don't understand, and I know she would say the same back to me. Sometimes, even in the most intimate of human relationships, you don't know what the other person's thinking. You don't know what that motivation was. And so if that is true of our human relationships, how much more the glory and majesty of Almighty God? That the Lord does move in a mysterious way sometimes, and sometimes we don't always understand. And when you read the Bible, you have story after story after story after story where God does things that to our human brains seem mysterious. Why go to an ancient man and his wife named Abraham and Sarah and say, you're going to have the baby that's going to be the, the, the one that ultimately saves the whole world. Your descendants will, will eventually take over everything as the kingdom of God spreads ultimately. the the blessed Messiah is going to come out of you. God who would say to Abraham, leave your country, leave your home, leave your comfort, go somewhere else. Well, where am I going, Lord? Just follow me, 
right? With no plan and no direction, nowhere to go. God who would pull Moses out of obscurity, uh, you know, with his anger problem and with, by his own admission, uh, a poor ability to speak and to share and make Moses his great prophet, his great mouthpiece, who was going to deliver Israel out of Egypt as God put his hand upon him, who was going to be the one that God gave the law to, who, when Goliath stood up, said, let's not send a seasoned warrior against Goliath. Let's send the shepherd boy who's never fought a day in his life. Right Over and over and over again, there are these stories where God does things just in ways that we probably wouldn't if we were in charge, right? He does things in a way that are mysterious. And of course, even Jesus himself, when Jesus arrives, arrives in the most unlikely way. We're like so close to Christmas, by the way. Do you guys know that? Canadian Tire has all their stuff out. Like they're, they're not even waiting for Halloween to be done. We're already on our way. And at Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation that Emmanuel came, God came near and doesn't come the way you would expect a king to come, doesn't come the way you would expect God to come, doesn't come in glory and majesty on the clouds of heaven, doesn't come in his humanness in a palace or or the descendant of kings and and living in luxury and, and all of the pomp and circumstance of royalty, comes in the most unlikely way possible, comes in poverty, comes in lowliness, lives a life of relative obscurity, lives a life not of endorsing his own Godhead and and demonstrating his power for his own glory, but washing feet and serving others and ultimately going to the cross. And speaking of mystery, how about the cross? which Paul would say is foolishness to the world. Like, what kind of God allows himself to die? What kind of God allows himself to die in such a horrifying way? And yet, through all of these things, through an old man and his wife who literally physically can't get pregnant, through a shepherd boy, through an unlikely prophet, through a Messiah coming in the lowliest of circumstances, through an instrument of death in the eyes of the world, God breathes his power in a most majestic way through that. And he demonstrates who he is. He shows himself off through us imperfect, broken, sinful vessels. All of us except Jesus, who was not sinful. So can we ever fully figure God out in in this lifetime? I'm thinking no. I I don't think that's possible. But what that doesn't do as well is we don't get to just kind of let ourselves off the hook and say like, well, he's mysterious, so I don't even have to try. It's the opposite of that. Our job is to pursue him. Our job is to dig into his word. Our job is to go after him and then learn as much as we can and seek to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Peter tells us. We are seeking to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, as we pursue him in that way, also understanding that there is a a mysterious side of God, we will never fully comprehend him or master him, and learning to recognize Rest in that, learning to be at peace with that. So let's take a look at our text this morning. Psalm 46. Of the sons of Korah, this psalm, starting in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. 
the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So for millennia, we have turned to that particular psalm for comfort in difficult times. I am often asked to share that at funerals. There's something about in the turmoil of the passage that God is there in the midst and the trust that he calls us to that is so beautiful. In this life, we know from all of our living that we have done, there are times of blessing. There are times of of great rejoicing. There are times of struggle. There are times of, of doubt. There are times of questioning. All of these things are part of living out just an authentic human life. That's just part of the journey. And so we make room, we want to make room for those seasons, that there is a time for rejoicing and there is a time for lament. There's a time when everything feels very good and makes a lot of sense, and then there's times where things don't make as much sense. There's times where we're full of praise very naturally because we see clearly the things that God has done, and there are times where we ask why, because we don't understand what he is up to. There's just the the range of living out this life, that not everything fits neatly. And so we want to give room for questions. We want to give room for, for things. Jude one twenty two says, be merciful to the one amongst you who's doubting, right? Like give some room and meet them where they're at. We don't condemn them. If you've grown up in evangelical churches, especially in the 80s and 90s, there wasn't a lot of room given for doubt, right? It was very much, this is it, it's black and white. And if you question it, you're in trouble, and that's not what the Word of God says. And, and I think everyone, if we're being honest, struggles with doubt at some point. And so we want to make some room for that. We're not compromising what we believe, but we're understanding in the wrestling that we are seeking the Lord in all of it. What inevitably happens, however long we walk with the Lord, however long we dig into his Word, inevitably, at some point, God acts in a way that we don't expect. Inevitably, at some point, he acts in a way that does not fit into my neat and tidy theological boxes that I have created. My understanding of him needs to be stretched. And if we don't give some room for that, then people start to fall apart. And I've seen it happen over and over again, where if you don't have room to say, hey, what's going on? If you don't have room to ask why, if you don't have room to wrestle, then that for some people, the house of cards comes down pretty quick. And so we want to make sure that we're giving room for the mystery of God. We're giving room for wherever we're at in our journey, that we are wanting to pursue Jesus together. And if you're in a season where you don't have a single doubt in your mind, then this isn't for you. And that's wonderful. And enjoy that season. If you're in a season where you're asking God why about some things, then that's real. And that's where you're at. And we want to help you take your next steps as well and and give some space for that along the way. We're talking about resting in the mysterious side of God. God never promises us an answer to everything in this life. In fact, as we'll see, he promises us the exact opposite, that we won't know everything in this life. We won't have perfect clarity on everything. There isn't a single person who has ever lived who has totally figured him out yet. And yet again, as I have said, that doesn't mean we just kind of throw away the journey or or we stop trying because we say, well, I don't know this and I just give up on it. You are meant to keep moving. You are meant to keep digging into the word. You are meant to keep pursuing. You are meant to keep coming after him. God has revealed himself in scripture. He has revealed himself in Jesus. He has not maybe revealed the answer to every single question, but he's shown us who he is. And so we are digging into and pursuing him. 
And so as we are continuing to, to go on this journey, I was just, I have reflected a lot lately on the Apostle Paul. Here are some of the things that the Apostle experienced in his life. First of all, he saw the resurrected Jesus, like saw him with his eyeballs. I have not had that experience. I have seen Jesus by faith. So Paul has seen the resurrected Jesus. If you remember in Acts 16, miraculously broken out of prison, right? The hand of God comes, shakes the prison, breaks them out. So we saw God work in a very profound way. Countless healings and exorcisms, just times where evil spirits are driven out, where miraculous healings happen as he prays for people. Someone was raised from the dead as Paul prayed for them. So literally a resurrection right in front of his eyes. He was caught up into heaven where he says, I saw inexpressible things. I saw things that are, are beyond human language. And then he had the scripture breathe through him, that as he wrote, the spirit was on him in such a powerful way that the words became the word of God. Paul's done more than I have in this life, it's safe to say. Paul has seen more than I've seen. Paul has experienced more than I have experienced. And yet Paul would also say, even after all of that, in 1 Corinthians 13, 9, right now here on earth, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So even with everything that he saw, everything that he knew, everything that he experienced, he would acknowledge, I, I still just have a piece of the puzzle. I don't have the whole thing. And he would go on in 1 Corinthians 13 to say, when we see him face to face, then we will know fully. A day will come when we understand it all, when all of it will come together. Here on earth, we don't see everything. One day we will see face to face, and then we will know fully, even as we are fully known by him. And, and part of that is coming out of 1 Corinthians 12, the chapter before, where he's talked about spiritual gifts and the metaphor of the body of Christ is that we need each other to comprehend God, right? That, that you know, you've seen something in the word that I didn't know, and you share that with me. And I've seen something in the word that you didn't understand, and I share that with you. And so together we learn and grow in our understanding of who the Lord is and how we can walk in a way that is pleasing to him. And so... Um, as we look to Paul's example again, it's not that we say, I'm just going to rest in the not knowing. No, we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are pursuing, we are moving, we are digging, we are diving into his word. We are understanding with other believers who he is. And on the things we don't understand, we can rest in the peace of he knows who he is. And if he is pleased to show us more about that question we are asking, then he can. And, and if he chooses not to, we will rest peacefully in that. Let's take a look at our verses today, verse 1 through 3. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters quake, roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. And so uh, in the context of when life is tumultuous, when things are upside down, when there is a turmoil around us, when all of that is happening, God is there with us in that moment. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. And so we are pushing past fear to that place of trust. And I don't know if it means literally you never have a moment of fear in scary moments, because I'm sure we do. But even as fear arises, we are pushing past it to that place of trust that God is our refuge, that he is our strength. He is always here with us, regardless of what we are going through. And in the times of turmoil and shaking, and, and when things seem upside down when we're not sure. Uh, again, I often read these verses at funerals in the face of 
of losing a loved one, uh, when life has been turned upside down, we are reminded that God is always here. But those are also the moments where we wrestle with the big questions of why, especially if something is tragic, especially if something has happened that has caught us off guard, especially if it's something that, again, maybe doesn't make logical sense. We ask God the why, and, and God has never, ever once been afraid of someone asking why. He's never been afraid of a tough question ever. We can bring that stuff to him. We can bring those questions to people that we trust who know him. Uh, friends of ours who are in ministry a number of years ago, uh, very tragically lost a child. The child passed away. And at the funeral, uh, Lisa, mom and wife, stood up. And, they, you know, fresh, they're trying to make sense of it all. Uh, they're, they're trying to, to wrestle through it. Uh, I can't imagine a thing that would be more upside down, shocking, tumultuous than this. And she stood up and she thanked everybody for the prayers and the support and the practical help. She said, um, I don't have an answer to the why of this. I don't have one. And I don't know if I'll ever get one. But she said, I have determined with my husband, we have determined that we're not going to spend our whole lives focusing on a why that we're never promised an answer to in this life. We're going to spend our whole lives focusing on who God says he is. We're going to spend our lives focusing on that and trust that maybe in this life, maybe not until heaven, understanding will come. But we're not going to allow ourselves to get bitter. We're not going to allow ourselves to, to be full of fear. We're not going to allow ourselves to get angry. We are going to keep pursuing him even in the midst of this. And I thought, I mean, their, their child's been gone a few days. Like, this was, not, uh, this was not like a settled, we've been wrestling through this for months and months. Like, this was brand new. And, and something about it just stuck with me forever. Just the, we were in Sudbury, I was watching it online, but uh, just the, the idea of we're not promised an answer to every difficult question in this life. And we can choose to let that make us cynical, make us bitter, make us upset, or we can say God has answered much and he has invited us to know him and walk with him. And as I focus on that, I will find my strength from the ever-present help that he promises that he is. A great example of this comes from the book of Job. Job is a book of great suffering, right? Job is a book that wrestles with the big questions of where is God on those bad days? Where is God in the midst of tragedy? Where is God in the midst of suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, that's what the book of Job unpacks. And so Job is a faithful follower of the Lord. And even as a faithful follower of the Lord, in one day he loses his family, loses his uh, wealth, and loses his health all on the same day. And so he loses everything except his wife, and his wife turns out to be kind of a jerk. She's not super supportive. And so when he's struggling and suffering, she says to him, what are you crying for? Just curse God and die. Like, just, just leave off. Get out of here. Just the love and support we all meant when we took our wedding vows. And so in the midst of despair that no one in this room can imagine, Right In the midst of pain and tragedy that none of us, Lord willing, will experience, all happening at exactly the same time, Job spends chapter after chapter crying out to God and ultimately asking why. 
saying, I wish there was an answer. I, I wish I could see God face to face. I wish we could be in a courtroom so that I could at least question him. I wish there was clarity as to what is going on. I've been faithful and I did the right things. And yet I'm still in this pit of suffering. And then Job has friends who come along who aren't the best friends either, just like his wife wasn't the best wife. And his friends come along and they say, well, Job, you must have done something. Like repent of your sin that you did and then God will stop being mad at you. And part of the book theologically is is just unpacking and, and undoing that false idea that we have, that it's all just about what you do. And if you do the good things, you get the good things, and you'll never get bad things. And if you do the bad things, bad things will happen to you, and you won't get the good things. And Job kind of undoes that false thinking. And so as Job's crying out to God, as his friends, he calls them worthless comforters at one point in the book, are, are doing a terrible job at trying to meet him in his grief, at the end of the book, God shows up. And he answers Job, but doesn't answer Job the way Job was asking. And it's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. When God shows up, he just displays his majesty and reminds Job who he is. Here's some of the verses of that. Job 40, 8 through 15. Job, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. And he goes on to... to, to display his glory through the creation. And he says, Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I said to the ocean, this is where you stop, your waves can go no further? Were you there when the angels shouted for joy? Are you there with the, the doe, the deer who is pregnant? Are you counting down with her the months until her babies are born? Are you there in that moment? And doesn't say a thing about suffering, doesn't say a thing about Job's circumstances, doesn't say a thing about why bad things happen to good people or anything like that. When God shows up with his answer, his answer is, I am God. And you aren't. And there are going to be things in this life that you don't understand. Ultimately, the creator does not owe an explanation to the creation. That's the nature of being God. And so when God shows up, he displays his glory. He displays his majesty. He reminds Job who he is. At the end of it, Job says, I remember now who I am. I, I trust you, Lord. And, and in the second part of his life, scripture says, God redeems and blesses Job in incredible ways. And so the promise is not, I'm going to give you an answer to these things. The promise is not that I'm going to, to walk with you uh, in a way that makes sense all the time. The problem is not that there's going to be a crystal clear revelation that answers every single question that you have. His promise to Job is, I am God and I am here. And that's what Psalm 46 says, that even when the nations are shaking, even when things are turning upside down, even when we're going through the tough times, God is God and he is there. That is the promise, that God is there with us. So as we keep on going through the text, we're having some tech difficulty, so give us a couple of minutes. Um, all right, we are on to, oh, I don't have glasses. I depend on the big, <laughs> the big words on the screen. It's there. Oh, awesome. All right, thanks, Mike. 
That was going to be a very long service if I <laughs> kept going that way. Verse 4 through 7, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so, the, again, in the, in the tumults, in the tragedy, in the struggle, he is there. He is there. And all the nations fight and nations go up and down. God just speaks and things happen. That's all that is required, right? Armies can be raised and power and money and wealth as the nations try to work out their agenda in this world. God says a word and stuff happens. He reminds us who he is. He is with us. He is our fortress. He is our protector. I saw a clip, a little TikTok thing of Francis Chan uh, in the last couple of weeks my wife shared with me. And Francis was saying, he's like, the problem with us as humans, the problem with this, this generation, the problem with this culture is we think our ideas are just the best ideas. I think that's probably always been the case, not just now. But we think our ideas are the best ideas. We think that our, our thoughts are brilliant, and when we think of something, it has to be right. And yet there is a God in heaven who says, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So our best human ideas can be admittedly great, but they are nothing compared to God in heaven. And so as we continue to, to walk with him, to trust with him, um, to trust him as we walk with him, it's the understanding that even if things don't make sense, the presence of God is with us. God is always among us. As Jesus came to the end of his life, he was walking uh, with his disciples and getting them ready for the cross, and they have the Last Supper, and he washes their feet in John's Gospel, and, and you know that story. And Peter has a bit of a problem with it. He doesn't like the idea of the rabbi, you know, serving the student, and, and he's a bit confused by all that. Jesus says this to him in John 13, 7, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And if you know Jesus and you've walked with him, isn't that beyond just the immediate context, one of the truest sentences ever? That I don't always understand in the moment what the Lord is up to. Not always, but often later, I have some clarity. Often later, it makes sense. I don't always realize in the moment what he's doing, but later understanding comes. And if it doesn't come in this life, it will certainly come in eternity. It is true and it is relatable. Back to the text, verse 8 and 9. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. We see this in the Psalms a lot, just God reminding the armies of the world uh, that they're not really in charge. And even though it looks like, you know, armies are powerful, that God is the one who is over it all. Some put their trust in chariots, Psalm 20 says. Some put their trust in horses, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord in Israel. And so God is the one over all of it. And it's a great thing to be praying for things like what's going on in Ukraine, right? Where the Ukraine war is happening. Lord, your word says you will make war cease. Make this war cease. End it. Speak and bring this to an end. Break the bow. Shatter the spear of those who plan evil. Uh, that is part of our prayer as we walk with him. He says, and this is the most famous part of the psalm, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. When the world around you is not still, when there are wars and, and mountains are being turned upside down, when the turmoil is happening, when the shaking and quaking is happening in the midst of all of it, he says, be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Whatever is going on, he says, our job is to remember who he is, and our job is to not freak out. Our job is to be still. In the Hebrew word there for the be still, Rafa, uh, it literally means to slacken, to sink, to let go, to relax, to drop, to stop, to abandon. So when we're alarmed by what is going around us, we, we slacken, we sink. It's just, it's a, such a word of, of just relax. Let it go. Just drop, drop the shoulder tension. I carry my tension in my shoulders. Just drop, right? Drop the fear, drop the worry. Just, just sink into him. Be still. Why do we be still? How can we be still? Because we know that he is God. We know who he is, and so we rest in that. Many years ago, I've shared the story with you before, uh, Sarah and I were pastoring in Amherstburg, the Pentecostal church in Amherstburg, and we were loving it. We were having a great time. It was a wonderful season, and God was with us, and, and there was just joy in the house of the Lord, like we sang this morning. It was just a joyful time in our lives, and I'd been there about five years. Sarah and I had just been married about one year, and we were starting to make our plans for our family, just as newlyweds, and saying, okay, we love our church, and uh, we can see ourselves here for many, many years, and so let's, let's figure out uh, you know, where we're going to live, and what's that going to look like, because next for us is, Lord willing, going to be babies, and so we were planning, okay, well, this room could be a nursery, and then we can renovate this, and so we were starting to figure that out. We really thought, we'll be here for 10 more years, and we had not a hint that, that we were going to be moving at all. Like, we, we really were plugged in. We were enjoying ourselves. And then uh, we were at a, a worship service, a Sunday night worship service. Remember Sunday night worship? All the time. So our church would do it just once a month, and it was just worship. Uh, no sermon or anything, just full worship. And so we were at the worship service, and um, it was kind of a just open-ended worship time for a couple of hours. And so people would just kind of, rather than stay in the pews, they'd you know, come and kneel at the altar or, or walk around or whatever. I always like to pace around at the back of the room. And so I was pacing around at the back of the room in this worship time. And then, just clear as a bell, the number of times I've heard the Lord speak this clearly are like maybe three, four times in my life. But clear as a bell, I heard the voice of the Lord say, your time at this church has come to an end. And I think he had to make it so clear because it sounded so crazy to me. It was not something of just like, oh, I got a bit of a feeling that it might be like it was, it was clear. And I was shocked. I was completely shocked. I was completely caught off guard. And the rest of the service, I was completely distracted because I'm thinking, how am I going to tell my wife where we've been like planning where the nursery is going to be and, and what our 10-year plan is for this church and where we're going to go? Um, how am I going to tell her that it's time to go? And as we got in the car, we were driving home. Uh, our home was in Essex, so we had a, a bit of time to chat. And uh, Sarah also had been having her moment with the Lord where he was telling her that it was time to go. And so I remember always, I always will, holding hands. She was driving and, and holding hands. We're both in tears as we drove home, uh, thinking, man, how are we going to tell parents? How are we going to tell the church? How are we going to... But God just made it very, very clear that it was time to go. And, and so we were, again, completely shocked, caught off guard. And as we uh, told our church, like we didn't have a church to go to. We really felt as we prayed about it more that we were to leave right away. We didn't have a job lined up. There were opportunities out there. And so we left. And I think in my thinking at that time, I said, well, I am obeying the Lord. 
So obviously some great opportunity is going to open up right away, right? I'm going to just sort of step from one right into the next, and we're being faithful and obedient. And we left our church with, with much tears, with much blessing. And then what happened for me was nine months of unemployment that I was not expecting when God said, lay aside this church. And so it was a difficult time. We were, we had a bit of money, but not a lot. We were running out of money as it so happens. This was all happening right in the middle of the Great Recession. And so, uh, we sold our house at a, at quite a loss, I will say, uh, from where we had bought it. And we didn't have a lot of options. We moved in with my parents, who were wonderful and gracious, and so we, they had room in the basement, and so we moved into the basement there. And I'm sitting there at nearly 30 years old saying, I don't have any money at all. I don't have a job at all. I can't take care of my wife. I'm moving back in with my parents. That's not the direction that that's supposed to go in life. And, and just feeling like a failure. And even other people in our lives who we loved and trusted who said, like, yeah, you must have got it wrong. Right? If, you, if you heard from God right, there would be a job. Like You wouldn't be moving back home. So, you know, learn the lesson. Like, you know, Job's worthless comforters, right? Like, thank, thanks so much, guys. And so as we kind of wrestled through that, eventually the door opened for us to go to Sudbury. And we went, and God was in that. And while we were in Sudbury, God blessed us with our children and, and many other wonderful things while we were there. And in that season, a big part of that, that gap, um, I have no doubt we heard from God, right? I have no doubt we did what we were supposed to do. And part of it was just this, is that God was calling us to be still and know that he was God. And I was applying to every open pastoral position, like in my denomination, outside the denomination, like it started off, we want to stay in Ontario. And then it was like, all right, we'll go anywhere in Canada, Lord. All right, we'll go anywhere in the world, Lord, because no one's hiring me anyway. So anything you want. But that was part of it, of resting and trusting in him, allowing him to wrestle me to that ground where I said, Lord, literally, we will go anywhere. We will go anywhere you are calling us to go, to trust that he is God and he actually does know what's best. And there were many other things that God did in that season that, that were just miraculous, where he showed himself over and over and over again. But to be in that place of saying, okay, you know what? I don't have to fight everything all the time. I don't have to work to make things happen all the time. There is a time and there is a season where we just rafa, we just rest. We are just still. And you know what? I don't know the answer to that question. That's actually okay. And I don't understand why this struggle is happening over here, but I'm, I'm going to be still on it. I don't need to, to make it all make sense. I can rest in him and trust that he is God and that he is more than capable of telling me anything I need to know. He is more than capable of speaking to me through his word. He is more than capable of bringing encouragement alongside me and correction if I need it. He is more than capable of doing all of those things. I'm going to be still and trust him. I will trust who he is. Isaiah 55, I've mentioned it already, verse 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither are, my, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That uh, if we didn't know this already, God's kind of on another level, <laughs> right, than us. So we, with our limited human understanding, our limited perspective here on earth, uh, you know, with our, our little worldview and our, our little experience of people and, and what life has taught us along the way, what we've learned uh, in our experience thus far. And then there is the God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord of heaven and earth. 
and saying really clearly, guys, I'm just on another level than you. That not everything that happens to you will you understand on your level, but that doesn't matter. We're supposed to trust him and who he is on his level. Trust his thoughts, trust his ways, even if they don't make perfect sense to us all the time. We will never fully understand. We see in part, we know in part, we prophesy in part. There is a God in heaven who knows exactly who he is, even if I don't fully understand it all the time. He knows exactly what he is working out, even if it doesn't always make sense to me. Last verse, verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And again, that's the theme throughout the psalm, right? When the mountains are shaking, when the wars are happening, when the earth is, qu- is quaking, God is here, God is here, God is here. It starts by telling us that God is here. It ends by telling us that God is here. He is with us. Again, as we get ready for Christmas, you've heard me say my favorite name for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us, that we are not alone that the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And so God at times is mysterious. Mysterious does not mean unknowable. It doesn't mean that at all. He has shown what we need to know in his word. He has revealed himself in Jesus. And again, it doesn't mean that we just kind of don't try and we just kind of give up on the search and say, well, God's a mystery, so what can you do? We are pursuing him. We are digging into his word. We are pursuing to understand him to the level that we are able to understand him. That's our job, to steward as much as we are able to know him on our end. And then when we don't know, when we don't understand, when he acts in a way that we, you know, doesn't fit into our boxes. We are to trust then that he knows best, that his ways are higher, that he is God and we are not, and finding peace there in that moment. Even if we don't always understand him perfectly, even if we don't always understand who he is exactly, even if we don't always understand what he's up to, he knows very well who he is. He knows very well what he's up to. He knows very well what he is capable of. And so in those moments, we trust and rest in that. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. So in terms of our church helping people take their next steps with Jesus upward in our walk with him inward as we are transformed outward as we reach out in love to others, uh, what are we doing then? What are our next steps? Today's a bit more of an upward word and an inward word. So again, and I hope I have made this clear, as we are understanding that God does not always make sense, nonetheless, we are still pursuing him. That's our job to do. That part is our job. So we are in our Bible, we are, are in community, we are talking to other believers, we are praying, we are worshiping, we are doing the things we do to seek him, doing the things we do where we feel close to him. Wherever you feel close to Jesus in your life, you go to that place and you meet with him there, you read your Bible, you, you pursue truth, you pursue him as much as you are able. That part is our job. That is how we steward well the call to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we inevitably run into those times where it, it doesn't make sense, I don't understand, we certainly wrestle through it. We talk to other believers that we trust, right? We talk to our life group. We ask a question from a, a spiritual leader in our lives. We, we talk to people who are our spiritual companions in this life. We do. We continue to pursue. But we also understand that we may not get an answer to every single thing. 
And that doesn't need to shake our faith. That doesn't need to, to make it all come crumbling down. Like that doesn't need to do that at all. We can very peacefully rest in the fact that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. One day when I see him face to face, scripture promises, then we will know fully. But here on this earth, we know in part, and I don't need an answer to every rough question because I trust who he is. I trust what I know. I trust what I've seen. And as we do this with one another, uh, we encourage one another in that way, that you get to hear the story of what Jesus did in me and Sarah in Amherstburg. And, and hopefully that builds your faith a little bit. And then you get to tell me your story and that builds my faith a little bit. We do this together. So what are your next steps? It's, it's a bit more... Um, philosophical, I guess, today rather than practical. But our next steps are to, just as a suggestion for you, just to ponder these things, to meditate upon these things, to be willing to release to God the things we don't understand while still seeking more. And if the more doesn't come, just resting peacefully in the promise of who he is. So we want to worship the mysterious yet not unknowable God again before we go. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. Let us worship him for who he is this morning, and then we'll wrap up. Be the mountain way. 